hindrances to prayer. Why, why sometimes we feel like our prayer is not heard? We uh, read from the psalmist in Psalm 22 and verse 2. We see the psalmist saying this, said, uh, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And sometimes we feel that way. Lord, I pray and pray, but you don't seem to hear. So we need to ask ourselves the question, is there something that I can address that is hindering my prayer life? Now, in the case of the psalmist here, we read down through the 22nd Psalm, and we can see that here is a prefiguring of the Lord Jesus Christ and his prayer as he's forsaken by the Father. Uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is the, uh, is the term, is the phrase, is the sentence that Jesus, question that Jesus asked on the cross, and it's there in Psalm 22. So we understand that as the psalmist was writing that, he was foreshadowing uh, what Jesus would suffer on the cross, but the concept of praying and feeling like there is a sense that God is not hearing can also be, uh, it can also happen as a result of something that uh, we are able to uh, to change. And so I want to take a look at just a, quickly a few things before we go to our prayer time in just a few minutes, uh, things that may hinder, that will hinder prayer. The first one is uh, unjudged iniquity. The Bible makes it pretty plain, and I'm thankful for it. That if we judge ourselves, we don't need to be judged of God. It's a child of God. If we'll take care of the judgment ourselves, it's, uh, we won't need to be judged. I'll get that on here. There we go. Um, and so uh, we we have that opportunity. You know, we we can do that. That's one of the things we can address. Uh, and if we have unjudged iniquity, then uh, our prayer is not going to be effective, not going to be heard. Psalm 66 and verse 18 uh, says it this way, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if I'm hiding iniquity, if I'm not confessing it, if I am uh, indulging it, if I'm indulging some sin, if I am uh, meddling in some sin and just saying, well, you know, I'm getting away with it, nothing's happening, but, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm just going to regard that in my heart. I'm going to let it, I'm going to let it lie there. I'm going to leave that room off-limits to the Holy Spirit. If that occurs, if that is occurring, then certainly you have the promise from God that he doesn't hear your brain. And so we need to judge that iniquity and deal with it. Proverbs 15 and verse 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked. Far from the wicked. And you think, well, that's lost people. Well, Christians can act wickedly sometimes too, can't we? The Lord is far from wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. And so uh, his ears are open to the right to the prayer of the righteous. In the book of Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, and I'm hurrying through this because of our brief uh, time, uh, but in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, the, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But he says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have uh, hid his face far from thee. So our iniquities and sins have separated us from a connection with God as far as our communication is concerned. When you're a child of God, you, you, that relationship with God is never severed. You're a child of God, regardless of your sin condition, 
you're still saved, you're still going to go to heaven, but it's a, it's a tough way to go when you have no fellowship with the Father, no fellowship with God, no blessing from God, no answers to prayer. It's a tough way to go in a way that none of us really really wants to go if we know, if we understand uh, how serious it is. So unjudged iniquity is something that uh, we need to recognize. I can't uh, regard iniquity in my heart and expect answers to prayer from God. So practice 1 John 1, 9. You know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not talking about unsaved people there. Read the context. It's talking to, to Christians there. You're, you're not, uh, you know, you, you, uh, this crazy philosophy of, well, I got saved and I confessed my sins and all my sins are forgiven, past, present, future, so I don't have to talk to God about it anymore. I don't have to bother. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to concern myself with sin because God's forgiven it all and I'm just going to have a good time and, you know, uh, praise the Lord. So, no, that's not how it works. Uh, our fellowship with the Lord is what's being spoken of here in First John, and uh, that fellowship is broken when we have this uh, attitude of um, regarding iniquity in our heart. Secondly, the sin of unbelief. Uh, the believer can be an unbeliever, can he? Uh, the Christian can be an unbeliever. The sin of unbelief, uh, you know, the Bible talks about those that ask with a wavering spirit, uh, you know, and with a wavering heart. And with a wavering faith, he, the, the, James chapter one tells us that uh, we need to watch. Let's go. Let's go ahead and look there. Uh, James chapter one, verse five through verse eight. We're told to ask in faith, nothing wavering. Um, James, Peter, John, right there. James chapter one, verse five through verse eight. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So here's someone asking for something from God. If any man ask wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, uh, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He's talking about a man that really doesn't believe what he's praying. He's praying, but he really doesn't believe that God can answer it. He really doesn't believe that the Bible is, uh, you know, that uh, trustworthy. And so he's wavering. He's like a wave, you know. He's going, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe not, you know. Uh, and that attitude is wavering. And so unbelief, the attitude of unbelief, the wavering spirit is going to be resulting in unanswered prayer. Matthew 21 says it this way, All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, what's the next word? Believing. In prayer, believing ye shall receive. So asking in prayer is good, but we need to do it with a, a heart of faith, believing uh, God for it. So uh, asking in prayer with a, with a spirit of faith, believing it, believing that God uh, is a God of faith and that uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. And it goes on to say, for we must believe that he is, first of all, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So it's not enough to just believe that God is, but that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, that pray, that believe when they pray. And so we need that, we need that uh, unbelief that sense of unbelief, a bang. Remember when Jesus um, asked um, 
the the uh, the man that uh, desired for his son to be healed, he said, "Believest thou this?" And the man said, "Lord, I believe." And then he said, "Help thou my unbelief." So that's what we got to do too. Lord, I believe, but you've got to help me, Lord, to be unwavering in my belief. So that's another one. A third one is the love of pleasure. What will hinder our prayer? Love of pleasure. Well, the Bible says that there, in the last days, in Timothy, it talks about the times we're in right now. And it says, in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And so the idea there, the, the sentiment there, the suggestion there is that it's talking about people that say they love God. We all here tonight are saying we love God. But here he says, those that love pleasure more than love God aren't, aren't uh, context suggests that we're not going to be able to expect God to answer prayer if our first love is to do with the appeasing of our own desires. You know, so love and pleasure can get in the way. Uh, James makes it clear when he says, you ask and receive not, so you're asking, you're praying, but you're not hearing the answer, you're not getting the response that you're hoping for because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. And so he's saying you ask with an attitude of I just want this for me and um, there is no answer to prayer there and you wonder about that. Well, it's the love of pleasure uh, placed above the love of God. That's uh, another hindrance to prayer. A, third one, a fourth one, of course, is the sin of pride. Sin of pride. Uh, none of us is uh, exempt from the sin of pride, and every one of us have common uh, have that in common. The experience of pride. Uh, if we if we were completely, you know, victorious over pride in our lives, we wouldn't have very many arguments with anybody. We wouldn't have very many people. We wouldn't have our wife ever mad at us or our husband ever mad at us if we never had a problem with pride. You know, but uh, all of us have an issue with that from time to time. And James chapter 4 said, He giveth more grace, but God resisteth the proud. He doesn't, he doesn't, he isn't interested in answering the prayer and blessing the life of the proud. He resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Psalm 138 says, uh, The Lord be high, though he is high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. That's powerful. Though the Lord is high, high in the heaven, yet have we respect unto the lowly. But that's not where the verse ends. It says, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Oh, he knows proud Christians. He knows us. But he knows us afar off. He keeps us at arm's length. He's not um, focused and concerned about answering our prayers because our prayers are, uh, are predicated on pride. So there's a hindrance there in prayer. The next one, the fifth one, is the sin of indifference or the attitude. It's not necessarily a sin in every case, but the attitude of indifference that uh, can creep in. The you know the 18th of Luke speaks of the individual who uh, was importuning in, in their request for help from the innkeeper. And um, importuning prayer was what was taught in that passage and in others. That importunity of prayer, coming and asking, coming and asking, coming and asking, and being importuning because the uh, person asking believes that the person they're asking 
can supply the need. That's the way we need to come to the Lord. We believe that he can supply the need, and we, if we uh, are importuning in prayer rather than indifferent in prayer, you know, if our prayer life is just tacked on to all the other busyness we've got, we can uh, see any, anyone that would look at our prayer life uh, critically would be able to see that we're a little bit indifferent about prayer. That's the way we approach our prayer life. That indifference. You have an illustration of it with uh, here's King uh, Joash in Israel, and here's Elijah in the last days of his life, and Elijah's coming to Joash, and it's it's the bat, it's a issue between Israel and Syria, and here today Syria is still in the middle of the news today, isn't it? Uh, with uh, with the Middle East uh, situation there, and all that's going on in Syria, and that was the case then, as it is now, and he says to Joash, he says. Uh, God wants to use you to smite uh, the enemy, smite Syria. And he, he, he holds up a quiver of arrows. He goes over to the corner of the room and he grabs out a handful of arrows out of the quiver there. And he holds it up to King Joash. And he said, these are the arrows of God's deliverance. And so he has him, uh, he puts his hand on his bow and he says, pull the bow back. And he says, let, let one loose out the window. And he said, that's the arrow of God's deliverance. He says, hands him the he hands him the rest of the quiver of the arrows. And he says, take them in your hand. And he says, now, uh, smite the floor with them as you would smite Syria. And the king looks at it and says, that's weird. You know, and he's looking at that. Smite the floor with them. Smite the dirt with them. Smite the ground with them. So he looks at Elijah and he looks at the people around him there. And he's a little embarrassed. And he says, this is stupid. But I don't do it anyway. And so he says, he's kind of, you know, one to do. But he looks up. Them back to to uh, Elisha, and it says Elisha says immediately, "You should have smitten it five or six times." And the idea there, the implication there, is that the king was somewhat indifferent to the command. He was somewhat indifferent to it; that he was sort of half-hearted and sort of unbelieving about it. And so he said, "Because of that, you'll only smite your enemy three times, and you won't finish him off. You won't finish the job." So. The idea is indifference there, and it is certainly applicable when we come to our uh, our own prayer. If our prayer life is an indifferent kind of a thing, where it's routine and kind of you know shallow, why that's the reason why we don't have a more a more uh, you know uh, a more effective prayer life. The the next one, and quickly, I'm about out of time. An unforgiving spirit. God help us with that. Not to have. Uh, not to harbor an unforgiving spirit. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 25, 26. Let's read that uh, quickly. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, 26. Um, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, if you have anything, harbor anything against anybody, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. In other words, there's no answer to prayer there. God, forgive me, restore my relationship with you, help me get right with you. Ain't going to happen if I'm asking God to forgive me and restore me to a right relationship and restore my fellowship with God and restore my blessings. I'm asking God to do that, but I'm not willing to do that with someone who I've got an issue with of some sort. So, Makes that very clear. An unforgiving spirit is a, is a hindrance to prayer. 
Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, uh, as, uh, Christ as God for Christ's sake have forgiven you. So, not forgiving spirit. Last one is the neglect of God's word. You're here tonight, uh, and we're opening God's word, and we're not neglecting it. That's one of the claims we have to see the Lord answer prayer. Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, He he turneth away his ear from hearing of the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. So he that turns away his ear from the hearing of the law, he that isn't interested in hearing God's word, he that's not willing to, to be, you know, where God wants him to be in God's house when God's uh, opened his doors of his house to his people. If we're not interested in that, if we've got something else to do, if we're not concerned about that, the Bible says, he that turneth away his ear, from the hearing of the law, from the hearing of the law, see, even his prayer, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Wow, that's pretty powerful. And so let's ask the Lord to help us be uh, be clear of any of these hindrances to prayer when we go to prayer tonight. And uh, as we pray for a revival, as we pray for a meeting coming up with Brother Bracken starting on Sunday, we're praying for those things related to revival. Let's ask God to help us not have any hindrance. At least on our side of things, let's not have any hindrance to prayer. If it's unanswered, let's let it be because God has a reason for that and a purpose for that we don't understand. That's not answered like we think it should be. Let's let it be that side instead of something we're putting in the way of answered prayer. All right, let's uh, ask the Lord a blessing and we'll, we'll uh, let's stand together. We'll have a word of prayer and then let the uh, ladies head out for their session. And they're in...